Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Colts Cover 2 Podcast. It is finally game week. This is the first pre-game podcast of the year. I'm Joel A. Erickson. I'm joined, as always, by Nate Atkins. Uh, it is... There's some, some element of the unknown. I don't, we don't know exactly what we're going to get out of the Colts on, on Sunday. Um, but obviously the excitement level is, is basically surrounding Anthony Richardson. Uh, Anthony Richardson's first start, what the offense is going to be. I think that's what I'm most excited to see is that we finally get to see the offense with the kid gloves off and with Shane Steichen not trying to obscure things. Um, I, I'm just very interested to see how they deploy him. Yeah, it'll be an interesting balance because on one hand, there is going to be real scheme here. They were very intentionally vanilla, and Shane doesn't like to even discuss scheme. Uh, so he's kind of been holding some things back for week one. At the same time, he also talked about how you know, the goal is to give Anthony a game plan that they feel like he can master early on, not feel overwhelmed by. There's still an element of figuring out quite what he can handle within the scheme that they haven't rolled out against another opponent yet. So I expect this offense to be something that builds from week one onward this year, uh, You know, as many weeks as they can get out of Anthony Richardson as many uh, – you know, as, as many steps as he's able to take this early in his career, they're going to they're gonna try and take. But it will be interesting, though, because, I mean, we – especially, you know, without without Jonathan Taylor for four games, Anthony Richardson is going to have to be that guy in the backfield who creates some explosive plays. And we hear so much about the, you know, the threat of that, the potential of that, the things he can open up, and the ways that they can get him on the move to show off some of that historic athleticism. We didn't see – as much of that preseason as they were just trying to keep him safe, trying to keep this back a little bit. But uh, on Sunday, that all comes off. So, uh, you know, it's full contact, too, which he hasn't been in a lot of those settings. He loves those settings. So I'm pretty excited to see what he can handle. Yeah, I, I think the uh, I, the other piece of this is, like, I'm excited to see the offense, but I also know, and Shane Steichen's already alluded to this, it's probably going to change. Um, like, I kind of have the bye week after Germany sort of earmarked as, like, a good time for them to – to kind of strip down and and look at everything that's worked and what hasn't and kind of retool the offense a little bit. Um, I, I think the biggest thing is there's going to be a lot of quarterback run um, mm-hmm. stuff that we haven't we haven't necessarily seen on the in the preseason games. You know, he, I mean, he ran in the preseason games, but a lot of it was scramble type plays. It wasn't like the designed run stuff that I think is most interesting given his skill set, given the power, given the speed. Like, is he running inverted veers up the middle? Is he um, are they using him like Cam Newton? Are they using him more like a smaller quarterback? Like that, that stuff's all very interesting. Um, all that stuff, uh, all, like I said, all that stuff's very interesting. How they how they use the uh, the RPO, but I think even more so how they use the RPO action. Um, so, like one one thing to remember, um, I, I'm just gonna give this out there for listeners, just because the quarterback 
fakes a handoff in front of him, it doesn't mean that it's automatically an RPO. Um, it's it's going to look like that. And and the other thing is announcers are going to say it. Like it happened in the preseason already in the Eagles game where, so, where people were saying this is an RPO. It was not an RPO. The line was pass blocking, which means it's a pass. Like if it's an RPO, the line will run block. Um, so that's that's the best way to tell. Watch the line. Try to figure it out. But in terms of play action, like you can use that, that in front of you mesh point handoff um, that that people use for zone reads and, and for RPO stuff as a play action and make it look like it's sort of like in my head, it's sort of like um, how they talk about like with major league pitchers, like you want every pitch to come out looking the same for the first, you know, 30 feet or so or 40 feet or 45. And then it's going to do something else as it gets near the plate. Like, I think that's the, that's the other thing is every, I think a lot of plays might look like that starting out where the ball's in front of him or running back is crossing in front. And then, uh, and the actual play call off of it can be wildly different. Uh, I liked what I liked what uh, I kind of like this thing from uh, Gus Bradley. He called it an RPR instead of an RPO because uh, like RPO generally means uh, it's either a handoff to the running back or a throw. That's what the Colts were running last year. They've been running in the past. People think of RPO as only being done with mobile quarterbacks. That's very very misguided. Like Aaron Rodgers was running a ton of them in Green Bay. Like. It's it's essentially it's it, it's their plays that have a marker within them where the quarterback can either run or or throw and the defense tells him what to do, um, like, but an R, the reason he called it an RPR is that a lot of times it's it's either handoff or throw for an RPO, but obviously with somebody like Richardson or somebody like Jalen Hurts, some of these faster guys, like there's there's two runs that could happen off of it. It could be. Um, a handoff to the running back it could be a run and it can be a pass you know and i think um i think sometimes that stuff can work really really fun like i i covered a a, an offense in college that was very very heavy in zone read um less rpo but but more zone read and um i i don't think the colts will be this heavy run as as like 2013 auburn was there's no way but (laughs) it'd be pretty um, incredible but but it's it can be fun to watch like when they have wrinkles off of it, you know, like everyone remembers the kick six from that game. But like to me, the, the really um, key play and the key play call in that game was they ran a zone read six times in a row. Auburn ran a zone read six times in a row down seven with time running out. And people were wondering, what are they doing? What are they doing? They need to get down the field. And then they ran an RPO where they faked the zone read, kept it and threw to a wide open receiver for a touchdown. And I just thought it's like one of the best play calls I've ever seen live. Um, and and obviously the NFL is going to be more complex, more complex, more complicated than that. But like, it's just it's just some of that stuff off of off of what they can do when they make everything look the same is fun. Yeah, and that's it's going to have to obviously build a little bit throughout the season. But we are going to see things we haven't seen before. And what I'm interested to see too is in the moments when when Anthony Richardson has that choice of dropping back or rolling out where he can throw or run and decide when to do either one of those, kind of how he balances that because it's been an interesting evolution where he came into the league and we knew the rushing is what he is best at right now, most capable of offering. Uh, but in almost all the settings we've watched him with the no contact jersey where they whistle plays dead, it's been about there's, there's not been a lot of motivation to do that. So he's standing back there and he's trying to make these throws. And in college, he could sometimes, even though it was a small window at Florida, 13 starts, he kind of would bounce between those. 
he just started last year against Utah that everyone remembers where there's a play where everybody's covered and he's at his own 45-yard line and he just scrambles up the left side 45 yards for a touchdown. It was a huge play to, to win that game. The very next week, though, all these scouts come out to watch him and Will Levis, and he just wanted to kind of stand there and, and just be a drop-back passer to try and prove something he hadn't shown before. He had six carries for four yards, and that game never was able to bring out that best version of Anthony Richardson. And so he's trying – he thinks about this a lot. He's trying to find ways to be both of those things, a true dual threat where you're using the legs in the right moment when it is the best option, but you are also not – only that you know you were you are going to run these pass plays with initial progressions and the first progression is not to run but at some point that's going to enter the the sphere and it'll be interesting though because he's also been he's been excited to feed on contact I asked him that I guess after the Eagles game and he said his least favorite part of practice is putting on the red jersey because he wants to get hit he wants to feel some of that adrenaline and he wants to use that to sort of instill confidence in his teammates and then also see what he can add to a run when you mix the speed with the size with the strength and all that stuff so we're going to see him I think not you know he'll run a lot but he'll also really put his shoulder into some things and uh that's just kind of how he's going to play a little bit here I mean there's been plays in high school where he used to try and hurdle guys so we'll see just how much of the kid comes out in him versus uh you know trying to protect who he is but uh, I have a feeling once they take these kids glove will come off in the physical sense Jaguars hunting after him and I think that's when uh he's going to be as fired up as ever yeah I think in terms of his instincts I think you, you kind of trust Shane Sykin to say like you don't have to you don't have to necessarily like perform for anybody you don't have to feel like you have to drop back like Shane Sykin's about to, at least to me, Shane Sykin sounds like he's about like number one, what's most explosive, and number two, what's going to develop Richardson, and that that means giving him some stuff early that he likes to do, that he's comfortable doing. Um, and I think I, I would guess that in these rooms, just based on what I've heard from Sykin, that he's telling him, you don't have to do any more than that. We're going to give you a, a game plan that fits you, that, and we're going to figure out as we go what what you do best, and they're going to keep feeding him that stuff. Whereas I think in college. I think in college, especially at a place like Florida, um, in general, that's not the way offenses are really built. It's not really built around doing what the quarterback wants. It's more <laughs> about, like, at least in my experience, co- college offenses tend to be less about tailoring to the quarterback and more about, like, this is a system that we run and we're just going to do it this way. Mm-hmm. So, um, like, you know, the, the best example of that is, like, the op- is like the one time that somebody did build an offense around what the quarterback could do best. Um turn Joe Burrow from a seventh round pick into a into a into the number one pick of the draft you know like um so it's gonna be interesting to see what, Sh- see what Shane Steichen does let's let's talk expectations for a little bit first first for Richardson and then for the team what, what are you expecting from Richardson early on because I, I I think really you can only talk about the first couple of games here stuff everybody knows that the, the way the season goes things change and perceptions change as we go I think we're going to see the upside early on because there is this element of the unknown uh, where teams don't quite know what plays are going to roll out at what moments, what the tendencies are. All of this is so brand new. Nothing the Colts have done before matters. Yeah, the Colts don't have any tendencies. Yeah. Like that's that's true. They they legitimately don't have any. And Anthony doesn't have any. So I think we're going to see moments where whether it's a, a deep ball, a 
you know, scramble up the right side, a QB keeper that trucks a linebacker. I think we're going to see some of the stuff that he put on display at the NFL Combine as the most athletic quarterback in history. And I also expect at some point, you know, so I think there will be moments where that becomes more of the game than not, and that'll be kind of this exciting point. And then it's it's just sort of a roller coaster once you go along because, you know, those those select plays, his high-end plays, you know, those can't sum up every game, and every game's going to have different challenges. I think what's going to happen, what's likely to happen with this team is there's going to be moments, certainly week one probably, when they're chasing points because of their young secondary against someone like Trevor Lawrence or later on in season face Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson. In those moments, I think that's when we're going to see some of the you know growing pains for Anthony Richardson as a passer, decision maker, uh, deciding how much to be the hero versus play within – the scheme when you're down a lot, you know, so I, I just expect to see kind of the full array of what we've been told about him, which is, you know, guy who wants it so badly, elite athleticism and arm strength, very developing passing, and a lot of things he has not seen and experienced before. And that's why I'm really excited for it is there, there's just such an unknown feeling to quite the order and uh, makeup of how these things play together. And I just really think it's going to be a mixed bag. Yeah, I, I think um, I think one of the things that I was writing a story that this, we're taping this Wednesday, this story I believe posts Thursday about just have the Colts done enough around Richardson to support him. And it's a story that's not really about Jonathan Taylor, although, I mean, Taylor's mentioned, but it's really more about the receivers and offensive linemen. Like, I think some of the way I've seen Richardson described so far is like he's going to make everything better for everybody else on the team. He's going to lift everybody else's play with, with, you know, like obviously he's going to create lighter boxes because teams are going to be focused on him for the running backs. Um, people think, you, 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 I mean, I shouldn't say the people, the Colts believe his pocket presence and escapability will help the uh, offensive line. Um, but at some point he's still a rookie. And, like, I don't want to lose sight of that and put all this stuff on him. And I think to, to some degree push the expectations out of – uh, perspective like he, he's a rookie who started 13 games in college like it, he's probably he's almost certainly not going to be able to carry a team uh, I was thinking about this the other day when, when was the last time a rookie was able to carry a flawed roster and the, the last time I could come up with somebody like very truly was Andrew Luck which is more than a decade ago or Robert Griffin yeah same, same, year. same year it's more than a decade ago because the closest know? I think about is the year Justin Herbert had with Shane Steichen was amazing 39 touchdowns but his coaching staff got fired because right. they didn't win enough. Right, right. Like that's usually what happens is, even if they're really good, they can't necessarily. You've written about the, the Cam team Newton, around him. The Cam Newton rookie year, where there are a lot of things statistically to love. Would they win six games? Yeah, and it was it, they started slow, and then and then they they started to come up and be better towards the end of the year. Like there's asking him to carry the whole team and make it bigger. I I don't. I don't know if that's realistic in his first year. Maybe Baker Mayfield, his rookie year. It's easy to forget now, but Browns with seven, eight, and one, which off of an zero and sixteen season, was pretty encouraging. But he didn't start the year out. You know, it was a little smaller sample, and still wasn't I, a winning I don't, record. So I don't remember that roster very well. Like, was it a? It was kind of when they're on the come up. They, you know, they had young Nick Chubb, and young Miles Garrett, young Denzel Ward, tanked okay. to get that talent. So, yeah. but they hadn't had wins formulate yet. They weren't like established. Stepped right. In. Yeah. Because I think that's the biggest thing I keep thinking about with this team is like 
and we've talked about this before, but even if everything goes exactly the way the Colts hope it goes on the offensive line at wide receiver, like in terms of players taking the next step, like the hope that's not going to happen is that nobody gets hurt. Yeah. And the depth at, at the depth at receiver, the depth at ta- the depth on the offensive line, like I think you could be putting Richardson in a bad spot um, just in terms of who he's got around him as he's trying to develop into a passer um, going forward. Now I think Steichen is going to try to minimize that and do whatever, but like at some point, at some point you have to have guys. And if if it, this is there's zero there's zero career starts in the four backup linemen on the roster right now. There's no backup outside receiver. The guys on the practice squad at outside receiver are not super experienced. Like that's a lot of ifs that have to go very right. And Colts fans should know by now, after being in the Chris Ballard era for a while, that usually when they take these kind of chances where it's like if this goes right, if this goes right, if this goes right, one of them is going to go wrong. And and in that in that then I worry about like are they supporting Richardson enough? Yeah, and not to beat the horse dead again, but I mean we've seen that play out already with Jonathan Taylor. Is if he's not ready to play at the beginning of the season, what now? And that's where he's at. He's out four games. So I think that'll be something to really monitor early in the year. Like I said, they're helped out by the fact, obviously, what what Richardson does for running backs and the newness and the unknown of teams not knowing their scheme yet but we interested to see how defenses want to handle that because in philadelphia in the joint practices against an eagles defense that knows that scheme as well as anybody what they were often doing was playing two high safeties and just letting their dns converge on anthony and trusting the middle of their line to you know to also get to anthony and so they kind of forced handoffs to the outside constantly and just trusted their safeties to step up and make a tackle within four or five yards because, you know, stepping up to tackle a backup running back is different than trying to do it in the open field against, you know, someone like Jonathan Taylor. So we'll see what the what the effect of that is. You know, the the scheme, all the stuff, the scheme, the, um, the ways the coaches want to deploy him, they'll help Anthony out. Ultimately, though, it's almost impossible to hide your quarterback for a long time. The only way you can really do that is if you have a situation like the 49ers have maybe where you know you have Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, plus Kyle Shanahan's system that's very quarterback friendly and play action, run game, all that stuff. It takes that kind of perfect system to minimize really the role of the quarterback. And it's safe to say kind of however this cold season goes, they're not going to have that. It's a young roster. It's a developing passing game tight end room that's unproven does not have Jelani Woods early in the year backfield without Jonathan Taylor and that's before we get to injuries that bring up those depth concerns so I'm just trying to set like expectations reasonable because there are going to be moments where that's why I say uh, it'll be a mixed bag with Anthony because I think he'll have these plays that show exactly why he was the number four pick because I see it almost every time he takes the field he has a few of those moments of these feats that just almost nobody else on the planet can pull off but we're also going to have the growing pains because it will fall on him in certain moments, and he'll be asked to do things that, if he hadn't hasn't done them in high school and hasn't done them in college, at some point he'll have to do them in the NFL. But how quickly can he do those? As far as step back, win from the pocket, deliver the ball consistently, make tight window throws, win in the red zone—they're all the reps that they need him to get. That's why he's starting this early. But 
there's going to be growth to that. It's not always going to be perfect. And I think it's just something we have to really remember when, if you see it really fluctuate, you know, it's easy to get wrapped up in, oh, he got a lot better this week. He got a lot worse this week. Some of it's just that chess match of defenses adjusting, different challenges, different situations, different moments. And really the totality of the 17 games and what he takes away from that is what's ultimately going to really define their season. From a team perspective, our, our predictions, which I, I, I'm just going to point out again that our editor Nat Newell makes me do. Um, it's not Nat, it's not just Nat's fault though, because in my uh, role as an analyst for Fox 59 CBS, I was also asked to make a wins prediction. So we get, we can let Nat a little bit off the hook for this. Now I'm I'm on record in two places. Still don't like doing these. Um, it's not my favorite, <laughs> but that's why I uh, I do silly things like I predict exact stats in the game. Um, that's surely going to happen. I've got him at six wins. You've got him at five wins. That's pretty much, I think, middle of the road for what most people expect from this team. Um, I think most power rankings nationally and stuff I've seen have them in, like, the bottom four. Um, I've kind of got them, like, just I think because of the way the schedule works out, I've got them kind of winning a couple games early um, and then going through a rough patch and then kind of figuring it out towards the end, which I guess is just copying the Cam Newton season. Maybe that's a window into the way my brain was working on it. I, I just think that I, I think that it, what it came down to for me is just the lack of experience um, it, in key positions and key depth. Like, it's – like, the team The team loves Daryl Baker Jr. They like Dallas Flowers. They have high hopes for Juju Brents. None of those guys have been a starting cornerback in the NFL. And it just seems – it seems overly optimistic to think that that's not going to be an issue for this team. Um, same thing with same thing with the depth on the offensive line. It seems overly optimistic to think that like when somebody gets hurt, one of those rookies is going to step in and just hit it right away. Um, it seems optimistic to think that all the re- all the receivers are going to be healthy the whole season. Like it, it feels like those those spots in particular, even if everything goes right from the starting standpoint, and at corner corner doesn't even fit into this because they're so inexperienced outside of Kenny Moore like it just feels like there's not enough depth to really contend yeah 17 games will test that in so many ways you know as if you look at last year it's easy to focus on some of the injuries that really hurt them uh you know obviously the quarterback injuries Jonathan Taylor was a huge one Shaquille Leonard uh that, that kind of crippled them. But there are other areas where they, you know, it all kind of evens out. The offensive line stayed incredibly healthy last year. That was not what the issue was. So they'll have different challenges, different injuries that will come up this year that will test that. And it just there's just not enough backups that I, if they had to step into the game mid-game that I feel very good in, good about. In past years, a couple years ago, I really liked the guys that the Colts could bring in to do that. And that's just not the spot they're in now. But my thing, I, I go back just as much to – in those moments where, in those kind of winning time clutch moments, I just don't know quite who the players are and what spots that are going to make those plays consistently. So I'm talking about when the defense is in third and seven and has to get an elite quarterback off the field, I don't know who that edge rusher is who's going to you know, dominate off the edge and end the game. I don't know who that cornerback is who's going to come up with the interception at the right time. And then I kind of feel that way with the passing game where, well, in terms of who's going to create the explosive play that's not opened up by deception and scheme. So 
on third and ten, you can't run play action and think that that's going to open up Alec Pierce wide open because they bit. So those moments, and it's there's guys who could, who have a chance. I mean, Michael Pittman Jr. I think is better than uh, than some people realize because he hasn't had the quarterback support so much. But is he a number one? We will see. You know, guys like Quidipe Diodengbo have that ability. It seems we have not seen it fully come together yet. Uh, and cornerback, I just don't think it's going to be ready to be that kind of high-end high playmaker. But I just, I've just i covered teams in the past that have had been in this spot, this sort of rebuilding spot where they have a lot of guys who can do a lot of things that help you throughout a game. But when it comes to clutch winning moments, young teams tend to be exposed. It's not just because of you know confidence and bright lights and all that. It's also because they're not developed enough in who they are to kind of be – that guy yet and that's where a lot of this roster is I think is that Quidipe Diodengbo um, Alec Pierce Jelani Woods you know you can name guys who you could see in three or four years being that guy if everything breaks right I don't know that they have enough of those at the right spots right now uh, so that's what I, that's where I think enough of this is going to fall back on Anthony to be that guy and I think there may be moments where he is because he has his abilities just raw abilities but to consistently do it yet again we're talking about our people at their peak 21 year old is not at his peak and will not be at his peak this year and so that's kind of the battle i think they're dealing with is just the kind of development that hasn't yet happened because this roster is frankly just kind of too young uh the colts have a win opener in a very long time uh what are your thoughts on the jaguars uh i love that team in terms of how good they're going to be, I was going to say, man, you're going to get the you're going to get the podcast. <laughs> I had, to, had to had to clarify there, uh, just because I think about a team that that. We just know, to they, be clear, Nate loves Jacksonville. Love, and Joel hates it. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's for okay. <laughs> uh, that's where that's where we're going to spin this. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, the Jaguars. So they started out slow last year, as we know, basically the same slowness the Colts did. The Colts beat them uh, early in the season, so. But then they once they turned it on, like that was like everything clicked for Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson's offense, and this it felt like a team on the rise where Christian Kirk fit so well and uh, the role players fit around him and you know Travis Etienne became a, a force out of the backfield and now they had Calvin Ridley to that and then they get a year older and more advanced in the scheme and system so. I have some questions about their defense still. I'm not quite at the point of there's some people who think they're going to be like the top seed. I'm not there. But I am there in terms of their offense is going to do a lot of things this year. When they're up against a team like the Colts that just doesn't have that counterpunch in the passing game, that's when I think the Jaguars are going to really hum. Calvin Ridley is very interesting to me. He's very He was very good. I mean yeah. – it's easy to forget about Ridley because he hasn't played in a year, but or really two years, kind of. Pretty much, um, he's played like five games in two years. But which is which is its own. Like there is there's some rust and stuff there, but he's not. It's not like he's a quarterback. He's a he's a receiver, and you know just just to point out the last time he was in a full season, ninety catches, thirteen hundred and seventy four yards, fifteen point three yards per reception, nine touchdowns. He had 26 touchdowns in his first three seasons in the NFL. Um, that's a that's potentially a huge weapon that they just added that they added um, yeah. for for not that much. Um, and I think that, especially considering 
like my level of uncertainty about the corners going into this game, adding him to an, a team that already had Christian Kirk, um, already had some good weapons that they liked, is that's he's Calvin Ridley. I think is a, is a very interesting piece of the Jaguars to me. Um, and then obviously Trevor Lawrence. We uh, we asked Gus Bradley about this the other day. He said that if you're not talking about Lawrence as an elite quarterback, top five type quarterback, like he thinks it'll happen soon, just because of everything he can do. You know, this is a this is a schedule the Colts have that's not does not have a ton of uh, elite quarterbacks, but maybe maybe the, maybe they get one right off the bat. And I don't know if that's the best thing for this team and this defense uh, where they're starting out. Yeah, it's going to be trial by fire. Gus Bradley's kind of been warning us of that with the cornerbacks. And it's going to maybe a little bit like, at least on that side of the ball, the joint practices with the Eagles where that's where you could feel that youth was when Jalen Hurts was taking play calls from Nick Sirianni to throw to, you know, Devonta Smith and A.J. Brown and Dallas Goddard. Like it was too much for a young defense to know what to do with. And, and they got torched, and that was the way that they had to – learn and grow from that. I think it's those high-end passing games that are that have chemistry in a system that are going to really test this team just because you, you don't have, you know, you, you can't give what you don't have. So the Jaguars, Bengals, possibly the Ravens, um, there's a couple other teams that maybe could rise to that. But they're lucky the schedule doesn't have a ton of those. But week one has it, and I, I think that's what we'll see. Defensively, I don't have a good feel for the Jaguars yet. I think I need to look at them more. I've kind of been in Colts preseason mode before. Um, yeah, same here. But but you just kind of feel like, you know, it's it's the first regular season game. Like, I think I think one of the important things to, to remember is, and, and Jim Bob Cooter was reminding us of this yesterday, or on Tuesday, you know, like, the Colts are an unknown. They have no tendencies. Like, that that's helpful. But the Jaguars are also going to be trying to find stuff that Richardson hasn't seen before and stuff that they can't find on tape. Um, he said just about everybody, no matter what they've done, comes out with something new, some wrinkle, some some look they're not they're not getting. And I think that, you know, when you hear guy when you hear coaches and coordinators talk about like play calls, when they come up, when they get their best thing, it's it's they get the look they want. And it, it's harder to do that in the season opener because you don't have enough tape to know what teams do, what looks you're gonna get. And so I'm kind of expecting like a little bit of a herky jerky start for the offense, just not knowing exactly how like they, they they're they're debuting an offense no one's seen. They also don't know how that anyone's going to play that offense. Like they're 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 guessing on their own of like what looks they're going to get when when they're going to get them what like. I I think it's important for people to remember. I'm going to try to do this very quickly here, but later in the season and really even four games into the season. Coaches who are calling plays and defend and defenders like the NFL becomes this incredible chess match where because of whatever the down and distance is and the situation in the game, like the coordinator or the guy who is calling the plays has some idea of what the defense is going to throw out based on what they've seen on tape and what their advanced research has told them. Same thing is true for the defense. Like Stefan Gilmore used to talk about this all the time, like. Through film study, you can figure and and seeing the splits, seeing down in distance, like what they've run in the past. He said you could get it down to like two or three plays they could possibly run against him, just based on all that stuff. It's harder to do that in the first week because you don't have as much of that stuff, um, and it's probably harder for Richardson, I think, in terms of identification, that kind of thing. Um, it, I, I think it's I think it's probably a little bit hard. So yeah, I it 
I'm not expecting them to break their their opener streak. Um, I don't know if any. I don't know how many Colts fans are like. I, I I'd be curious. I don't know how many Colts fans are expecting them to be to be great this season. Yeah, I mean, I feel like expectations. They seem certainly a lot lower than last season. Uh, you know, people are excited for it. I, I get to watch the the, the weeks. That, that's, that's gone now. <laughs> it's, it's, gone. It's, it's game week. We're yeah. officially flushing it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's interesting because there's excitement, but it's excitement for Anthony for Richardson, Richardson yeah. for a new coach, for a new era. That's less than, like, we're expecting them to be great. I mean, look, it's going to – but <laughs> if they come out and they pull an upset in week one, that – who knows, that may be off – you know, off the rails, and maybe people talk themselves into it. That's just how this kind of goes, and I don't blame you guys. Have fun with it, and by all means, like live live in that world because that's what sports allow us to do sometimes. But no, I feel like there's a general expectation of I mean, the franchise has sent enough messages and the moves they've made and not made that this is not an all-in type team on the doorstep. Um, I do think what's interesting to watch is. I'm going to be really curious about how the offensive line performs because that's the big bet that Chris Ballard made, rolling back the five that ended last year, betting on the growth they showed down the stretch while also hoping that we don't see the pitfalls that that ruined them for much of the year at different spots. And so one spot I'm really looking at is left tackle because Bernard Ryman has looked really really quite good. Really good. Really good in in preseason, just particularly his pass blocking. I just have – maybe only once or twice noticed anything I thought was problematic. Now, again, like with everybody else, it changes a little bit. He's going to get rush packages and that he hasn't seen. He's going to have veterans do what they did last year where they build throughout a game and, and set him up and try some different stuff. But he's working with more this year. He's got 15 pounds of added muscle. Uh, coaches and front office members have seen him sort of play more confidently within that where he's not catching guys so much as striking them and making first contact and slowing them down and facing Josh Allen is a big time first test of the season to that growth so he's going to really be obviously left tackle is always key to it but he seems like a huge key on the entire plan that Chris Ballard took to bet on those guys having a bounce back season if it works uh, you know they'll, they'll, they'll be feeling really good about where they're moving if it doesn't, that's when we get more into the conversation of are they putting too much on the rookie quarterback? Yeah, I think I think an underrated piece of the offensive line, and we're going to have to go soon because Shane Seikens about to come in. Um, but is we've talked a lot about Ryman, we've talked a lot about Fries. Do Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, and Braden Smith play more like their reputations prior to last season, and and less like they did in the past? That's that's I think going. The first three or four games, I think the hard hard thing with veterans is that it's hard to tell in training camp if people look bad on like because veterans are working on stuff and. Um, I always like the Brian like, Billick quote that you, in preseason you can't tell who can play but you can tell who can't. Right, um, and and so you you don't know for sure, and we're gonna now we're gonna get a chance to see. Um, so there's a lot there's a lot of unknown with this Colts team. We'll see where it goes. Uh, Shane Seikin is about to come in for his midweek press conference. So we will wrap this up for the Indy Star. I'm Joel A. Erickson. This has been Nate Atkins. We will be back after the game with our day of post-game podcasts, our first reaction to this Colts team, uh, and, and what it looks like and really our first real chance to see them. The preseason is, is a fake version. This will be our first chance to see the real Colts and get uh, some kind of opinion on what they're going to be.
just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.